you're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash. I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. You know, the long discussion that we've been having on the Locked In Show is about the ongoing shortage in housing, um, and certainly the ongoing shortage, shortage in affordable housing. Um, rents are going higher. Um, interest rates are starting to get a little bit higher. And even if you can find a house to buy, you're going to be competing um, with some really large investors to be able to get that house. So um, the, the entire housing shortage is being widely talked about. Um, you've seen John Louder here on my show before, but before when he was here, he was actually president of the Piedmont Triad Apartment Association. John has now departed that position, but still working in the real estate industry on the governmental affairs side. He's now the president of the Triad Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition, and he's locking in, in with me today to talk about affordable housing. John, how's it going, man? Going well, going well. It's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, and um, congratulations um, on the, the new position. And, you know, I recently had Jason Ewing on the show mm -hmm. um, from Sugar Good Homes, and, you know, he and yourself and myself, we all participated in a um, triad leadership forum um, yep. where we talked about housing for a greater part of this year. And although I knew you all before, I felt like I got to know you even even greater. We, we had our like our little rat pack that we had yeah, we put did. together to try to fight back against the <laughs> folks that wanted to impose more regulations on housing. But I, I had a great time this year and and those five meetings with you all just talking about housing. So I want to get want to get you here on the show so that maybe you could you know, briefly educate my audience about first what you do at Trevic and the great work that you all do there, and then just get you to weigh in on, you know, what's going on with housing, not only here in the triad, but across North Carolina. But I, I guess to kick off, you know, for my audience that don't know anything about Trevic, don't know anything about this coalition, you know, what, what keeps you busy day to day? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, so Trevic is really what it was founded back in 1999. And the purpose is to represent the think of everybody involved with land development. So these would be these would be land developers, these would be builders, uh, engineers, uh, attorneys, the folks that are that are involved in the process. And, and the and the whole approach is to be collaborative with um, the community members of different stakeholders, in particular with the city and county staff that that are directly involved in land development, but also with elected officials. And and so our job is to to help make the case for um, really proactive development and for and for you know finding the right balance, the right regulatory balance to get the work done effectively, efficiently, and safely. And um, that, that's really it in a nutshell. The uh, big difference between what I'm doing now and what I did before is what I did before was 100% focused on housing and rental housing in particular. And now it's really all land development. So it's commercial development, it's residential development, um, you name it. And, and so it's a, bit, it's, it's a little more involved uh, in that respect, um, but, but it's, it's great work. And, and traditionally, Trebic's been focused 100% in Guilford County. Uh, so that'd be Guilford County, um, Greensboro and High Point. And uh, we are looking now to expand to, to go triad wide, uh, particularly in Alamance and Forsyth counties. Uh, we're in the process of figuring out how to do that. Well, I, I think you all do great work and um, certainly the, the kind of work that's needed throughout the entire triad region. I, I used to be involved with the Triangle Community Coalition. Mm -hmm. um, which does similar work over in the Raleigh-Durham area. And that, that was when I first came into contact 
um, with these sort of proactive governmental affairs organizations that, that go out to work on um, these various regulations. And I, and I think a, a point you made that I want to draw out from my audience, I, I, I think when you say balanced and smart regulations, I, I, I think so many people think us in the real estate industry and community, we don't want any regulations. We, we just right. want to be able to build what we want to build. And, you know, if we have to um, you know, tear down your house to build it, then that's what we have to do. I, I don't think that's what, what we typically are asking for. I mean, like any other industry, you've got some of us that's, that's off to the, to the far left or far right. And maybe that is what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think we all typically advocate for sensible and smart regulations, regulations that are not overburdensome, um, but, but also regulations that do still protect the environment and protect the community's interest and and so forth. And, and I've always known Trebic to be an organization that does that, that kind of work. Is that correct? Or that, that is correct. And, and my, my predecessor, uh, Marlene Sanford, I think that's where she really, really staked the, the, her reputation and, and the uh, organization's reputation on being collaborative and being, you know, look, we're, we're, we're not always going to agree and we're not always going to come to the same conclusions, but the, there's no way we get anything done if we don't, if we don't get all the stakeholders in a room and, and, and work on a solution. And generally we will find a solution that works um, to, to some degree for everybody. And, and again, we're not always going to agree and, the, and we're not always going to get to the exact exact uh, end goal that either side maybe wants, but we're going we're gonna to come up with the best solution we can. And, and you know, and I, I think the work that you do at Trebic is essential to us being able to get through this housing shortage that we're, we're talking about in um, the comments that I had at the outset of the show. Um, I, I know we, we can have a lot of conversations about interest rates and supply chain disruption and, and labor shortages. I've only got you for a few minutes, but we could spend hours talking about the, the variables that are impacting the housing industry. But I, but I think to keep it more narrow for our conversation, I, I strongly and firmly believe that at the core of what we're seeing with these housing shortages is, is also overzealous local governments. Um, and, and we're seeing a strong case of nimbyism. Um, and, and a lot of communities. And, and what that has done is prevented us from being able to develop the amount of land we need to develop over a course of time. And, and now that's leading to severe shortages in housing, which is going to lead to obviously increased prices for the housing stock that, that, that is available. Um, but, but at the same time, because those same regulations are preventing um, you know, high density development, um, it, it's having a huge impact on affordable housing, which, which also has a negative impact on, um, the, you know, families, low income and, and moderate income families. You, you know, you're coming out of the apartment association. You've been spending more time at Trebic and, and, and interacting with land developers. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are, you, what are you seeing in terms of that housing crisis and, and maybe even the willingness of, of some local government to take a second look at, at some of these policies that are preventing what I just described? Yeah, I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of a, a real rethink on how um, on how local governments uh, how they how they manage their their land supply, and you're starting to see articles even in in the general press. Like there was an article in the Atlantic uh, Monthly very recently that basically said zoning is at the root of of a lot of our housing problems of the housing shortage problem. And I, I really think even in the in the um, professional planning community, I think if you talk to elected officials, they're beginning to to see that some of these zoning laws that zoning regs that we've had in place for a long time, um, they've actually contributed greatly to the to the problem that we have. And so they're beginning to rethink the the um, 
you know, the wisdom of some of those policies. But let's be clear, it's a tough, it is a tough, tough change to make to to look at, you know, cities like Minneapolis have gotten rid of single family zoning, you know, by right across the board. They basically said, we're not going to limit zoning um, to single family. We're going to, we're going to look at all types of, all types of um zoning, you know, no matter where you are. So, so that's a, that's an extreme. I don't know. I don't know how many, um, how many cities could do that. It's, it's politically touchy though, because, you know, I'll take, take my word for it. My experience with the apartment industry was that if you threw the word apartment into any development project, that's when people, the, 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 the really um, strong vociferous NIMBY crowd shows up because nobody wants apartments near them. I'm not talking about affordable housing. I'm talking about apartments. Um, it is still okay for people to speak of renters the way that, you know, as those people, we don't want those people. And, and, mm. and, you know, it's, it's it truly, it brings out a strong reaction. Now, the reason for that is most people want to protect what they're familiar with and what their, their, their own, uh, the value, what they perceive as the value of their own home. Yeah. I, I it, don't get me wrong. I think that they legitimately think there are going to be traffic problems. They think that there's going to be an uptick in crime. They think there's going to be an uptick in, um, uh, th- that there's going to be a decrease in their own property value. And we can, we can trot out study after study that shows that none of those things are true. Um, you know, honestly, it's worse if you get a retail establishment in terms of traffic down the road mm-hmm. from you than it is if you get apartments. So a lot of it's misperception. Um, a lot of it is, you know, there's an inherent desire to keep your own property value up because that's your prime for most people. That's their primary form of wealth, right? That's where they've put almost everything they have into their house. So putting that at risk, um, is understandably very, very touchy for them. Anything that they perceive as a risk. So the political challenge is to to rethink the zoning issue, you know, that is contributing to our housing shortage. And how do you overcome that that resistance? How do you overcome that fear? Um, how does any any elected official um, sit up on the days and and listen to their neighbors come in and and scream and holler that you know hey you were bringing down the character of our neighborhood you're bringing down you're going to introduce traffic and crime and problems and you know renters aren't invested in our community those arguments so I see it as a real contributor to the to the problem it it, it is a baseline um, issue that we're going to have to deal with and you and I sitting in those forums I mean we we saw a lot of that there is a there's there's not a great deal of understanding of how it's contributing to the issue um, because it is complicated. Um, but there's also, there's not a lot of sympathy for getting, there's or a lot of energy behind the idea of D de, of zoning, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. You know, and, and I've, I've, I've been very strong about this. I mean, you, you've got to look pretty deep and even further back in history at, at really what is the root of, of most zoning laws in our community. And, and most are rooted in, in, in racist behavior. I mean, a lot of times these zoning laws were created just to keep um, a block of people out because of their, their color. It, 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 it sounds to me, listening to your, your description of, the, of what's going on today, the zoning laws are being used to do the same thing, except now we're not discriminating based on race. We're discriminating based on socioeconomic position with, within, within the community. At, at what point do we start having a more, you know, uh, um, fundamental and deeper substantive conversation about 
just abolishing zoning laws. Uh, you know, you you go into areas like Texas where they they really don't rely on um, zoning laws, but yet despite Texas being a very big state, big community, a lot of people moving there, they're also not seeing the home price increases that we're seeing in California, Florida, and New York. Um, I mean, is there even a conversation, a, a reasonable conversation around, you know, just, just getting rid of some of these zoning laws? I, I think it's a tough one for all the reasons I, I, I said, you know, it's, it's very emotional. It's a very emotional topic. I, I think there's also the idea, you know, there's this thought that if you get rid of zoning, then, then um, you're getting rid of all planning, right. Or all control. And that's not the case. Um, but so take Houston, Houston's kind of the, 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 the city that everybody points to right now because it's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. It, um, their housing, they don't have the housing shortage. They don't have the housing, the housing prices that, that other parts of the country have, but it's not all, it's not all, um, a rosy picture. Um, because they're, what they're realizing is they didn't put in maybe enough controls to say, to say, taking into consideration uh, floodwaters, right? So they're having, they, they get a, a bad storm there now and they have more severe flooding issues, but they're, I, my understanding is there's trying to start to deal with that. Well, just because you get rid of zoning doesn't mean you have to get rid of your, your stormwater management plan or your, or your right. flood control plan. Um, I mean, there, there is a, you know, what you're, what you're really doing is you're saying we're no longer, if you get rid of a lot of the zoning, what you're saying is we're no longer going to tell you that you can't put townhouses here or you can't put quadruplexes here or you can't put um, duplexes here. We're telling you that it can be residential. We're telling you it can be, it can be, uh, you know, this is an industrial area, so there can't be residential there. We're just not going to tell you what type of, of residential yeah, can be there. You're just giving some guidance. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, to some degree allowing, which is I'm, I'm a huge advocate and fan of, but but allowing the private market to to work. And, it, it, you know, to some degree, when you look at the price of land based on asset class, that that that's a lot of times going to drive what a land developer can can place somewhere and even access to water and sewer. And, and there, there's all these other things that really go into whether or not I'm going to build a warehouse versus building a hotel um, right. versus building a, an apartment building. But, you know, I live in a historic neighborhood in, here in West End and downtown Winston-Salem. And you can tell that when, when when this area was developed, you know, we didn't have overzealous, you know, zoning laws because right. um, on the street I live on, I mean, there's there's really, really nice historic homes, but then right in the middle of it is a little retirement community. Yeah. You know, and and so, it, it you know, for, for many, many decades, we did it the way you're describing um, but but here, you know, it feels like in, in, in modern times, we've, we've just allowed some of these um, overzealous regulations to, to take hold. And, and and on one hand, here's the other frustration, John. You've got one group of people that are, are the, the NIMBYism crowd. Those are the people that are going to show up to the to the zoning meetings. Those are the people that sign the petitions. And they oftentimes are a minority number of people who live in the neighborhood. Right. Then you have another group of people that are so disengaged. They don't know the rezoning is going on. They don't know anything about the development. They they may not even know that that a zoning board exists. They're, they're just completely disengaged from what happens in their backyard. And then you got those that are maybe too engaged with what's going on in their backyard. How do we how do we I mean, does Trebek do that kind of work? How do we get to a point where, where we help those that might be on our side of the issue? To, to become more stronger advocates, just as much as the the the, the NIMBYism crowd is. Right, right. Yeah, w- what we try to do, 
um, and, and I'll tell you, you've identified an area that 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 I think we can do more, and that is working with the general public. Um, and and we have in the past, we go in and we will work with community groups, and we will you know talk about how land development works, and you know why things are the way they are, and and why some you know like zoning can be a negative versus the positive that is often perceived to be. Um, we do a, we also work a lot with elected officials to try to educate. Uh, and try to communicate the the perspective from the development side. Um, but is what's been interesting over the last couple of years is because of the housing shortage that we have. I think it it's it's opening people's ears a little bit more to we're not just I don't represent greedy developers and that's all they care about is deregulation and, and maximizing profit and you know blah blah blah. Yes, there's re, you know, they, of course they want to maximize profit, but it's not, they're not trying to say, Hey, we're only going to build something for wealthy people. What they're trying to say is, you know, ironically, if you, if you don't allow a certain density of development, then you're making it almost impossible to provide a product that is affordable to, to the average household. You know, what you're, what, because the land is more expensive, the land per house or per household is more expensive. The whole project just becomes much more expensive. So to, to be able to do it, to be able to pay their employees, to be able to, to uh, generate the profits that can allow them to then do a future product project, you know, you're, you're making that very, very difficult to do. So what's been interesting is because of the housing shortage, I think it's lowering the resistance to that, to that discussion. I think it is opening people's ears. I think that, that, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not an all or nothing conversation. It's a, Hey, you know, you, we really need to start talking about how we can how we can address some of these housing shortages that we have with things that we used to have a lot of and we don't have anymore. You already identified it. You know, you go into any historic neighborhood, you see you see places that were built as duplexes. You know, you go into any large city, there are duplexes, there are there are there are walk ups, there are there are townhomes. There are, you know, you name it, there's all kinds of variety and all in the, the same neighborhood, all in the same neighborhood. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it makes for a very vibrant place to live. I grew up in an area like that. And I, I can tell you, it's very, very vibrant. And it's, you know, there's this, because it's an unknown, because people aren't used to this, they're used to, you know, we have, we have literally two, two whole generations, maybe three of people whose perception of housing is, yeah, I might live in an apartment when I'm young, but I'm going to live in a subdivision where everybody's on a quarter acre there, you know, and, and we're going to have a driveway and we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And that is what housing is. Yep. And they, they, they don't realize that they're, you know, you go to New York, there are people who've never lived in a home. Their grandparents, their parents never lived in their home. They've lived in quote unquote apartments their whole lives. You know, those apartments could be condos, but They've lived in multifamily their whole lives, and there's nothing. It's 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 a it's a choice that people can make, and well, we and have I, to and get I back to that. I think again, if you if you live in the neighborhood I live in in West End, you you see a lot of that, and 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 it also allows for m- more diversification within the neighborhood, so that you get more of a mixed income type community, um, where where you you know you don't just have one single block of of socioeconomic you know right. class of people and again i i i my my biggest argument about some of these local zoning laws is is that i i feel like we're still allowing zoning laws to do what zoning laws have always done which is to separate and discriminate and 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 we we've got a 
you know, to your point, we need, you know, good, smart, sensible planning. We need good guidance. We need, you know, balanced um, common sense regulations, but we don't, we don't need a tool that's going to allow um, for people to be separated based on their socioeconomic um, place in, in, in the community. But John, I appreciate you being here. To my audience, I always appreciate you locking in. The other voice you heard joining me today was John Louder, who's the president of the Triad Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition. Great organization based here in the Triad, looking to start doing more work in Forsyth County, already doing great work in Guilford County and, and some work over in Alamance as well. So I encourage you to go look them up, go learn more about John and the role he plays there. Um, also to my audience, make sure you stay tuned to WTOB every single Sunday morning because that's where you can lock in at. That's every Sunday morning at 7.30. But if you happen to miss the show there, hopefully you're subscribed to the podcast. You can download that wherever you like to get your favorite podcast. You can lock in with me there. Uh, make sure you follow on Algernon Cash on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And until next time, y'all stay locked in. The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.